You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, joined by the founder of BrewHoop.com and longtime voice of the podcast, Frank Madden. For today's episode, that is brought to you by Manscaped. Manscaped is number one in men's below the belt grooming. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code Locked On at Manscaped.com. Now, remember, if you keep the area around the Jats crackers clean, you're going to be on the road to success, Frank. I'm not even gonna, not even gonna ask what 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 exactly you just said. Uh, I'm just gonna, I'll, I'm gonna re-listen to this podcast tomorrow just purely to 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 replay that a few times. So, um, I'm uh, now that I've shaken off uh, what you've just said, I uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm good. Um, I would say Bucks fans are probably in a better mental state uh, here as we speak on uh, Sunday. Than they were a couple days ago, following uh, that loss in Boston. Uh, solid bounce back weekend for sure. With uh, win on Friday in Orlando, a, a very very easy or win in Orlando um, against a Magic team that uh, you know is has had really a lot of trouble scoring this season. Um, but you know we saw I don't know how many months uh, it was like the last like what was it was it since January from like January through the end of last season I think they were either first or second in defense. We saw uh, them come into the Pfizer forum and give the bucks like their worst defeat of, of the regular season last year without Giannis. So a little bit of an asterisk on it, but um, yeah, the magic are an interesting team and bucks on Friday have no problem taking care of them. Giannis and uh, Bledsoe both bouncing back from, uh, you know, maybe some, some struggles. Giannis is always relative. And then obviously Saturday, the uh, rematch, I'm going to, I'm not going to call it a grudge match or a revenge game because uh, it's, you know, second week of the regular season game. But obviously nice to see the Bucs uh, take care of the Raptors with Giannis in transcendent form. And, and again, closer than I think the Bucs would have liked. Shades of uh, uh, the Heat game perhaps with a 26-point lead being shaved down to, I think as few as four points, I think, down in the last couple minutes. But obviously hanging on for the win and Giannis playing at an exception high level. Um, yeah, Bucks fans, I think have have uh, a reason to to at least feel feel pretty good. Uh, you know, very early, a lot of things still to work on, but obviously, a, uh, all in all, a very good weekend for a Bucks team that had dropped down to gasp two and two, and uh, now after this weekend are four and two as they head into a, a road trip part of their schedule that that won't be too easy. Yeah, I was thinking just before we jumped on, actually, I, I think the last time we spoke was after the Cavs win, so that was yeah. A little bit ago and you know clearly after the boston loss there was uh some unrest i would say amongst uh bucks fans who who saw another sort of second half collapse from from the team but yeah 
they come out against Orlando and, and we may as well start there. And I, I think most of the talking points are going to come from the Raptors game, but for the magic, this is a Bucks team that again, against the Celtics, you had some real uh, defensive question marks. And, and that was a Celtics team that, that offensively hadn't looked great to start the season. That first half against the Bucks was nothing to write home about for them. And then they were able to come unglued and the Bucks again uh, were unable to slow them down. You start this magic game and it's 20 to 7 after a few minutes in Orlando. And, you know, part of that is just the magic started eight for nine and, and that is going to happen. But at the same time, you're like, well, okay, when is this actually going to slow down? Are we going to go through this for, for the whole night? Because coming in, the magic were ranked dead last in a whole bunch of offensive categories. I mean, they've just been really struggling to score the ball. So, certainly, if that were to continue, you were going to have. Um, some real concerns for the Bucks, but they start to slowly turn it around just before Bud injects a couple of guys that uh, we've spoke about a lot, Sterling Brown and Dante DiVincenzo with really immediate results. And again, uh, watching this game, I was kind of like, well, you know, the, the Bucks defensively really uh, clamped down. They held the Magic to 14 points in the second quarter and, and really blew the doors off, off the game in that stretch. Uh, with DiVincenzo and Sterling Brown on the floor, but you're talking about a team that hasn't been able to score. So I sort of took that with a grain of salt, but it was certainly notable to see those two guys play. And I want to ask you, because before the game, Bud mentioned that Kyle Korver on a back-to-back is probably not going to play, and that makes a whole lot of sense. 38 years old, probably at this point, uh, the start of November does not need to be playing in a back-to-back. But with Brown and DiVincenzo, they're two guys that are obviously very active defensively. They're always doing stuff. They're particularly DiVincenzo. I mean, he's flying around like a maniac all, all over the place. Sterling Brown, we saw in this game 11 rebounds. Uh, you know, certainly looked like a guy that was pretty desperate to get on the floor. So I'm wondering whether, uh, you know, I'm wondering what you think about whether that was what we've been seeing defensively from this team or it purely was the back to back and maybe. We got a little bit of fortune with a back-to-back coming at the right time because these two guys, over, particularly in that Orlando game and, and against the, the Raptors, looked pretty damn good. Yeah, I was um, a bit surprised that Bud kept his rotation as tight as he did in the first few games of the season. Um, you know, I, I, I think we commented before the season started, like, I mean, if Bud goes 11 or sometimes 12 deep on non-blowout nights wouldn't shock us right i mean just given the the kind of number of guys who you can play uh, on any given night and uh the fact that i think bud has not been afraid to um well, let's say run longer rotations than expected I, I was a little surprised that you know we that we didn't see dante and sterling um earlier in the season we saw sterling briefly uh when both bloodsoe and and Giannis had foul trouble in uh, on the open the opening night game against houston but that was just like a kind of short stint in the first half um so it was interesting because, uh, you know, we saw, obviously, as you mentioned on Friday, Corver ends up uh, getting a DNP rest, um, which I think is, you know, was very good that that happened. I mean, again, Corver has shown, you know, hit a lot of shots and shown a lot of flashes of being Kyle Corver so far this year. Um, but look, he has limitations clearly physically, right? Just, I mean, given his age and just, you know, I think, I think Corver used to be, a, I think he's typically been an underrated defender. Um, I, mean, I forget who it was, but somebody just mentioned, I can't remember if it was Zach Lowe or Nate Duncan or who, who it was, but someone just commented how 
you know, just the fact that Corver is like a big dude, like people, I think over, over or underestimate like how useful that can be. Cause again, like you may think like, Oh, he's like a slow white guy shooter or whatever racial stereotype. He can't be good at defense, <laughs> but um, he's a large human being, right? I mean, he's six, seven. Um, I think he's a plus wingspan guy too. I don't think he's a short arm guy. He's not like, you know, 200 pounds. You can push him around. I mean, and he, he's always competed. Um, but look, yeah, at this point in his career, he's gonna have limitations and, and obviously there's an energy factor, um, from, from both ends that, that guys like, like Sterling and Dante bring that, that obviously a guy like Corver sim- simply can't. So, um, to see those guys get, you know, early and extended run on Friday was really encouraging and for them to immediately respond. I mean, literally, as you mentioned, like they come in and the game flips basically from, uh, Orlando you know, kind of coasting off that early lead and that early shot making to uh, the Bucks, kind of really just taking control of that game, you know, that 31 to 14 second quarter, completely flipping the script on that game and, you know, really not getting particularly competitive thereafter, thankfully for, uh, for Bucks fans, um, you know, mental states probably. But uh, yeah, a lot of credit to those guys for just coming out and taking their chances. Right. And um, I think that's such a, I mean, I think it's a trait that people, people take for granted in the NBA. And I think it was Jared Dudley who um, I once heard kind of talk a little bit, I think it was on a podcast he was on or something. And he was just sort of saying, you know, a lot of, you know, if you're in the NBA, you probably were a great college player. Obviously you were probably a fantastic high school player. You're used to playing big minutes, probably having a big role offensively and to have to transition from being somebody who's always going to play, you know, 28, 39, 35, 40, however many minutes when you're in college to, all right, you're going to get a stint here and you're going to get two or three shots. And if you miss all three, you may not play in the second half. You know, you may not play tomorrow night. You know, you, you have to be able to take advantage of opportunities and, you know, not every coach is going to have you give you a long leash to do that. And again, I think Bud generally gives guys opportunities and powers guys, but, um, to see players kind of come in and take their chances. I mean, it's obviously really important because at some point there's going to be injuries and you're going to need, I think all of these guys that we've mentioned. Um, but to see, you know, Dante, who we obviously have expected to, to be a, a guy that will be in the rotation at some point and Sterling, who I think similarly, we're, we're hoping that he can seize that role given his age. And, you know, the fact that you're going to, you're going to need some of these guys to, to be better than what they have been in the past. Um, for them to come in and, and play with, you know, again, that the hashtag energy and effort stuff um, is really important. And, and again, um, you know, I, I use the, the term energy little for, for Dante and um, you know, he did those things. I think, you know, at the bucks, I mean, we're the bucks right now lead the league in fast break points. Um, and we saw a lot of, uh, a lot of examples out of the weekend, 36 to two advantage <laughs> in fast break points against the magic on Friday. Um, was actually pretty much even. Actually, Raptors had a 16 to 14 edge on on Saturday night, so it didn't come. You know, we didn't see that same dominance on Friday night. But um, you know, we saw Dante making plays in transition. He had that steal and kind of Giannis like mini Giannis. Uh, you know, kind of slow down and uh, and kind of Euro step type finish. Uh, also had that nice uh, around the back bounce pass to to Pat Connaughton in garbage time. You know, guys were I think getting pretty comfortable in that game, but. I think the biggest thing for Dante, I mean, he's hit half his, I think half his threes so far this season. And for a guy that hit 27% last year and did not look like he had improved uh, much in that regard in the preseason. I mean, 
that's the biggest possible thing. If he hits 35% of his threes, um, then I think he becomes actually a really useful rotation piece. Uh, again, I'm not going to say he's a Malcolm Brogdon replacement or something like that, um, but I think he brings some things in terms of, um, you know, his moving off ball, his moving on the ball, his ability to attack uh, and kind of make simple reads, make simple plays. He had a nice little give and go with Giannis uh, in the first half on third Friday, which was fun to see. Um, I think he just, again, he, he's a guy who I think makes plays, gives energy, and if shots are falling, then, yeah, you got to find ways to play him. So I, I'm, I'm going to be very curious to see, uh, obviously, hopefully, that, that he continues to get these minutes as he continues to play well because, uh, you know, we mentioned the 10-man rotation early in the season. Even though Pat Connaughton sat out on Saturday, I'm not sure how much of that was. Um, looked like he got a little dinged up maybe on Friday. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, Corver comes back, plays 16 minutes, Dante 21, Sterling 13. Uh, you ended up going 11 guys deep on Friday. And, um, you know, again, I think right now, obviously, that'd be a nice, it, you know, again, you, in the playoffs, yeah, you probably need to go to a tighter rotation. But for now, I mean, if guys are playing well and you have a lot of guys, I think, deserving of minutes, you might as well, uh, you might as well kind of give those guys opportunities. Yeah, for sure. And, and the big thing with Dante that, that we always speak about is his shot. Uh, again, never been someone that is lacking confidence to shoot the three. But over the over the weekend or over the back-to-back for, for Dante, he goes six for 12. And I don't know how many people out there are watching League Pass or watching the games on League Pass, but they've started doing this thing where they put a, a quiz in during timeouts or during halftime in the, in the top right-hand uh, corner of the screen. And this was about halfway through the third quarter of the game against Toronto. It came up with uh, who is leading the Bucks in, in three-point percentage. And I generally have been ignoring these, but I was like, yeah, I'll hit it. It's probably Kyle Corver. I hit Kyle Corver. And then, of course, it came out Dante DiVincenzo, who's played about 15 minutes of basketball for the season. But, yeah, I mean, he was firing them up, hit four threes uh, against uh, Orlando. But I, I think that, as you said, I mean, they, the point of difference that these two guys bring, and I think in a lot of respects what Pat Connaughton also brings, is that they just make plays happen out of nothing. They have, they're have they always on the move. And I, I think at times when you look at this Bucks team, obviously Giannis does, does the incredible work regularly. But a lot of the other guys with Milton, Lopez, Matthews, uh, the, the other Lopez, Ersan, I mean, they're, just, they're not doing anything crazy athletically. And I, I think when you look at, Sterling Brown, as I already mentioned, the 11 rebounds in just 21 minutes. And then Dante picks up two steals and also gets a block there. It just seemed like they were able to get things going for everyone. And their energy became infectious for everyone else. The Bucks started to run. You already touched on the 36 fast break points, which you know for this Milwaukee team is really a good number to see them getting out on in transition. It obviously helped that the Magic could hardly hit a shot after that that first run that they had. But the other big thing was, and as you said, it's all relative with Giannis, but the second half for mine was was Giannis getting back to his MVP-level confidence. And again, yes, it was against the Magic, but it was important to see that because it, it felt like he needed to shake some of this frustration that he's been dealing with over the last couple of games. He was able to get out in transition out of those 36 fast break points uh, Giannis had 12 of those uh, himself. So he, he was just back to himself. Finished with 29 points, 14 rebounds, six assists. 
couple of steals in there as well. 10 for 16 from the field and even hits the three late, which had to feel good for him. Uh, and he was able to back that up with a big three in the Raptors game. So, yeah, Giannis just, uh, you know, really looked back to being himself, even though he was getting the numbers. Uh, he was able to dominate this second half and perhaps uh, in an even greater sign, he, he shot eight for 11 from the free throw line. He missed one early. And then I think it was definitely you that pointed out in that DM chat that we have that you thought that you saw something a little bit different from him at the free throw line in the, in the second half. Yeah, it, it's interesting. It was just like, it's like he just decided that he was going to shoot like a kind of softer, slightly higher arcing shot, which, you know, we've been through this stuff so much <laughs> with him that I'm, I'm like not going to sit here and say, Oh, he figured it out. You know, um, he said seven out of his first eight against the Raptors misses his last two. Um, but it did seem like the ball just kind of came out of his hand a bit differently. Um, and we were DMing with, with our friend Dean Maniat, who said it looked similar to something he was doing. Dean was saying something before December of last year, <clears throat> um, which I don't know. I, I feel like for a while, quite a while, it seems like Giannis has been shooting a little bit more of like a kind of like line drive type type shot. Um, whereas this seemed to kind of, I don't know, it just kind of comes out of his hand a bit differently and, and kind of has a higher trajectory, which again, for a guy who has been obviously short arming so many free throws. Um, okay. You know, and maybe, maybe that, that helps, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, again, especially with the three point shot, I'm, I'm just, I'm over kind of, you know, taking, one game's sample or multiple, even multiple game sample and, and acting like it's kind of a sign of, oh, he's re-architected something. Because I think fundamentally, like I just think Giannis has a very hard time repeating any motion really consistently. I think if he did, you'd, you know, we wouldn't be having these conversations. Um, so I, I guess it's always something that we'll, we'll continue to watch. But, uh, you know, considering I think in his first, I think in the first four games, I believe he was – he was definitely under 70% in all those. Um, and to, you know, over the weekend, it's eight out of 11. So 73% on Friday, uh, and then 70% on, on Saturday, seven out of 10, you know, did miss those last two, unfortunately in the fourth quarter, but, uh, okay. You know, maybe it's baby steps. Right. Um, and, and again, so much with him is just confidence and probably just not feeling anxiety, I guess, as he mm -hmm. goes to the free throw line. Um, you know, it was interesting to see him. You mentioned the three he hit on Friday night. Um, you know, it was kind of a, a – it was after he'd made a, a few different plays and kind of was feeling himself uh, in the second half. Uh, you knew that the game was kind of out of hand. This was in the fourth quarter. And, you know, it was just sort of one of those like, all right, I know this game's over. Here's my, like, death blow to you. I'm going to pull up <laughs> for a three. And um, I think one of the reasons Giannis a lot of times, like, can be actually pretty good at, at – well, relative for him – pretty good at like these pull-up threes. Uh, you know, he was better at, at pull-up threes versus spot-up threes last year is just because he gets his momentum going forward a little bit. And, you know, if you're a guy who's always short-arming stuff, um, you know, getting a little momentum moving forward, obviously can sometimes that's the difference, right, between miss, missing it off the front rim and actually actually making it. Um, but, yeah, he thankfully makes that three on on Friday. I believe – I think he had missed something like 14 or 15 in a row dating back to the Houston game. Cause he, he made his first two out of three in Houston and then missed his last yeah. two in that game. And then I think he had like an 05 game, a couple of two games. Um, and then what was he one out of four or something on Friday, something like that. But 
uh, so yeah, I mean, it was, it was quite a, a drought and, you know, this is the thing that he just, you know, if you're going to become a halfway decent three point shooter, you just, you can't go multiple games where you just miss everything. Right. That's just, this is not, not the way you're going to be able to, to kind of take that next step. So to hit the three on Sunday or sorry, on Friday. And then, um, I mean the, the three he hit on Saturday was probably the biggest shot of the game. I think the bucks were up one Oh two 98 at the time and shot clock running down. Uh, he gets the ball back near the top of the key and, takes one dribble and then realizes, Oh crap, I got to shoot it and kind of, you know, wings it up there. Um, you know, contested three that, that makes it one Oh five ninety eight. I mean, that was a massive shot. And, um, again, I, I don't, I don't know mechanically, uh, how representative that was of what he's going to do moving forward, but for him to, to hit that shot, you know, it, it was a, a massive play in the game and, uh, we'll see if, you know, there's, there's any carryover. Cause again, I think at this point it's, probably dangerous to, to assume there is, but obviously, you know, we'll, we'll sort of take it game by game. Yeah. He was 53% from the free throw line heading into those two games. And then, yeah, as you, as you sort of mentioned, he, he has a 71% mark over those two games, but probably the only other little exclamation point on that Orlando game was the Thanasis poster for his first points uh, in, in Milwaukee, which was fun. Uh, a bunch of social posts went out saying that Giannis's uh, younger brother got a, a big poster dunk. So, um, you know, just chalk that in, a, in, in as another tick in the box for the media outlets, not really realizing that he's actually older. But uh, <laughs> the, the Bucks uh, got back on the winners list, and that was important. And heading into a, a difficult back-to-back because the Raptors team were four and one coming in, and Pascal Siakam was—I mean, he's had a monster start to. Uh, the season he was averaging something like 27 and, and 10 or something around there, shooting over 40, 40% from three. Uh, he's really been unstoppable. And early in this one, he got taken out of the game with foul trouble. Both times, Giannis... So Nick Nurse coming into the game said, okay, well, we're going to put Siakam on Giannis. He's going to get uh, the first chance at, at defending him. It did not work. <laughs> and, and Siakam was out of the game within the first... Uh, you know, sort of five or six minutes there with with two fouls and was never really able to recover. He, he ends up fouling out of the game late, but he also picked up his fourth foul in the third quarter that took him out. Uh, he still managed to play thir- 32 minutes and get up 19 shots. But if you were looking at this as a matchup, and, and certainly there's been a lot of early talk about Pascal Siakam, maybe Giannis took that individual matchup personally. Maybe he just took the fact that they were playing the Raptors personally. Well, maybe he was just feeling good after beating down the Magic uh, a, a night earlier. But Giannis, 36 points, 15 rebounds, 8 assists, a steal. He had four blocks as well. He was 14 to 20 from the field. He had 26 points in the paint. The Orlando game, you're like, yeah, okay. Yeah, Giannis can dunk all over the Magic. But this one, this one was peak Giannis. Yeah, I, I think, um, did he have a, 11 fourth quarter points? Some, something in that order um he had i think 19 points in the second half uh this was definitely his most complete game so far this season i mean uh other than i mean he's obviously had some games where he has scored more points but uh you just look at the totality of of the the performance uh in terms of some of the playmaking some of those defensive plays especially in the second half um you know this was you know the mvp kind of at the peak of his powers i'd say and uh, 
it was just, I mean, this is, this is why if you're a Bucks fan, you have to, you know, you have to appreciate everything you, you, you can still, you, you still can sort of game by game in the regular season. Cause he is such a special, special player. And when you, you know, get even not, not great performances around him, but you know, good enough performances around him, obviously uh, he can just take this team um, and then put them on his back. Uh, and I think, you know, some of the plays I mentioned, uh, you know, the three obviously was huge. Um, I think both Friday and Saturday, he had, um, he had a few kind of like little in-between plays. Um, maybe not exactly like, well, maybe like one, I think it was maybe like one, one or two little like hook shot type type plays. Um, but kind of like little plays in between, which it's interesting. Siakam, I think the thing that makes Siakam special um, you know, even before, you know, this year where he's, he's hitting 42% of his threes, he's, he's at 96% from the line right now, which didn't take a free throw against the bucks, which I think speaks volumes about how well Giannis and the team defended him. But, um, you know, Siakam, I think the thing that kind of helped him break through was he's got so many little like shots from like five to 10 feet out. He uses the glass really well. Um, you know, he, he's not Giannis. He can't just dunk everything uh he can't get to the rim for layups every time but he's really good at little flip shots and things like that and um that's the kind of thing that Giannis to a large extent doesn't need uh in the same way Siakam does but if Giannis has some of those shots I mean I've always you know I always talk about Giannis if only he developed a little like baby hook shot little push shot um from you know eight to ten feet out how you know he could pretty much get that shot whenever he wanted um and we've seen a few a few kind of hints here and there of that um, but you know, we also just saw just a number of incredible, you know, Giannis finishes at the rim, just driving, putting his you know head down, and just saying, "I, I'm just going to pick a side, and I'm just going to bet that you can't stop me." And we saw that on Friday as well when he really started going. He was just really attacking guys in between, uh, you know, the Raptors with Siakam, um, Ananobi, and Ibaka, uh, and the Magic with you know uh, Al Farouk Aminu with Jonathan Isaac. Uh, I mean, he saw a lot of guys this weekend who are physically really talented guys, right? I mean, he he was not going up against, um, you know, a bunch of uh, pushovers defensively. And for him to, you know, put together a couple of games like he did uh, with the way he was driving to the rim, finishing through and around guys, I mean, it's it's just special, unique stuff that, that, that again, we – I don't – I don't think we've seen in this league ever, you know, a guy who can kind of make some of the plays he can. And then um, some of the passing, especially the two passes on Friday, which are Saturday, which I really, really enjoyed were he had two passes. One was, I think to Ilyasova, one was to Dante with them cutting behind the defense along the baseline and just bullet passes from, you know, kind of the, the top of the key type type positioning for him. And, I mean, you, you, you captured the, the Dante one, you tweeted out a video of it. I retweeted it today. Um, you know, they were throwing boxes and one at, at Giannis at times on Saturday night. Uh, you know, they were kind of doing things. We've obviously seen the, the, the Raptors have had more success probably against Giannis defensively in that Eastern conference finals. And we've seen from probably any team consistently and yes, Kawhi is obviously gone, but I think what made that, that defense special was just the the number of bodies they could throw at him. So um, the fact that, you know, I mean, they didn't have Ananobi in that series. So now you throw in Ananobi, maybe he's not Kawhi, but between Ananobi, Ibaka, Siakam, you've got Marcus Gasol, who obviously, you know, maybe isn't the defensive player of the year he once was, but still a really smart, um, talented defensive player. Uh, again, this is not a team that, you know, you can just kind of 
half-ass your way to 36 points against. And uh, for him to to score the way he did, um, in addition to uh, to playmaking the way he did, um, it was just uh, really special stuff. And and again, some of the just the vision that that he's showing. Um, and and I think importantly, you know, I tweeted a little bit about it, but you know, the, one of the challenges we saw in the, the East Finals last year is the Bucks do get stagnant offensively especially when Giannis has the ball and it's part by by design because you know when Giannis is driving and collapsing at defense he can't always like just look and and pass to to a man he's often kind of passing to spots right like he he expects guys to be in certain spots and so he's throwing to locations um and it's kind of based on faith and and so again like you you're not necessarily going to be able to do a lot of fancy off ball type picks and things like that because you know Giannis is trying to dunk on somebody and he's he's passing more as sort of a secondary thing and he's not he's not doing it specifically to 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 kick out to that guy who's running off the screen right um now the problem obviously is when teams really load up effectively on Giannis you know we've seen it even this year the Bucks going you know we've seen these these periods where um even if the Bucks maybe get good looks they just miss tons of shots and we saw again the third quarter was a problem um our friend Dean t- tweeted out Bucks are shooting 19% in third quarters this year from three. So like for some reason, you know, small samples, the third quarter has been just a disaster. Um, and opponents are think are shooting over 40%, uh, whereas the, the league average is about 35%. So again, there'll be some mean regression there. And, um, you know, I think it's been frustrating at times watching Giannis in some of these games, the Bucks have lost just kick out repeatedly and guys just miss rhythm shots. Um, but you know, what we saw, I think on Saturday, we, we shot, we certainly saw that we saw Giannis kicking out, finding guys open for three. Um, but we also saw him making some beautiful passes for, for easy buckets that, that were, uh, were really fun to watch. And again, you know, I wanted to make sure we talked extensively about Giannis because uh, again, we sometimes take him for granted and, um, nobody should take Giannis for granted. Yeah. And I, I, I like the, the, the tweet that you did send this morning because it was something I was thinking about. And, and at the time that you sent that, I was looking up some, some stats because this was a game where I think there was a lot of anxiety and I don't even think it was just with the fans. It looked to me in the last quarter that the Bucks players even were maybe like, Oh boy, we are losing a huge lead again. They're up by 26 points at, at one stage and really Giannis carries them home. And yeah, I know, again, you, you spoke about Dean earlier, but Dean mentioned that, oh, it's a bit early for Giannis to be carrying the team to a win. But again, he is the MVP. He's going to do that from time to time. But the numbers I was looking at from the three games that the Bucks have given up the big leads, and that's obviously Boston, Miami, and, and now Toronto. Against the Celtics, they had a 16-point lead at halftime. In the second half, they go four for 21 from three, and they are seven for eight in the restricted area. So clearly a big discrepancy there. There was a lot of shooting from the outside. The offense was very stagnant. They lose the game by 11 points. Miami, the numbers were really similar. They had a 17-point lead at halftime. This is in regular. This is before it gets to overtime. Overtime, I, I didn't look at those numbers. Obviously, they lose. But in the third and fourth quarter, the Bucks shoot three for 20 from three, six for eight from the restricted area. Again, they were just blazing away from three. That allowed the Heat to get back into the game. Last night against Toronto, even though the Raptors were coming really hard at the Bucks, I thought we saw a lot more... Uh, you know, a lot of uh, different looks from the Bucks' offense. It was less stagnant. And even when they weren't scoring, it looked like the offense was functioning in a, in a better way than what we'd seen before. They went 
four for 15 from three. So again, that's the theme. When the Bucks aren't hitting the threes, they're going to give uh, another team a, a chance to get back into the game. But they were nine for 13 from the, in the restricted area. So the Bucks are still scoring when they get in there, but we know that the frequency is down a lot. And that's something that I, you know, I think that is, was a combination of Giannis being as great a passer as what he is. I think he was also getting touches in different areas. You spoke about that sort of top of the key free throw line area. I think when he has the ball there, even if he, he has picked up his dribble, he still is able to draw a crowd towards him. And then if you have guys just standing on the three-point line, which we saw against Miami and Boston, if you're not hitting the threes, then it's really an empty possession. What we saw last night against, or in the game against Toronto, guys like Dante DiVincenzo, who picked up two easy baskets on, on baseline cuts, and then the Ursan one that you mentioned, there was a lot more movement. And it made me wonder a little bit about Kyle Corver. And we've spoke about you know, his limitations you know, physically and, and just as a player at, at, at this age at 38. He is a guy that clearly still attracts a lot of attention from the defense, but he's not a guy that's going to be making drastic baseline cuts and getting himself free going to the basket. He's just shooting threes. He's hitting 50% on those, but I thought having a different look with Dante and Sterling and, and you know, Essan's always been that crafty guy, but some different guys that, that were, were going to give Giannis something else to look at. It was clearly a directive, and I, I thought that was the difference and the, and the reason why the Bucks were able to, to put uh, hang on to that lead and get the win against Toronto. Yeah, I mean, so Eric wrote last week about, um, you know, the the shift, which I think we, I mean, I think everyone should have expected of the Bucks essentially trading some, you know, rim shots for, um, for three-pointers, right, which makes sense. You had basically three, you know, kind of high-volume drivers last year between Giannis, Bledsoe, and Brogdon. Uh, this year, obviously, Brogdon is gone. You replace him with guys who don't play that way right unless Dante ends up playing a lot of minutes and, and ends up being a you know higher volume driver guy which at this point I'm, I'm not expecting him to certainly score in the paint the way uh, Brogdon did I just I just don't see that right I mean he, he he was very effective finishing last year but it was more as a kind of cutter finisher not as a guy that just takes guys off the dribble and gets to the rim um, but uh, yeah I mean I think the the end result of that is the Bucks are you know, going to be a higher variance team, right? They're more dependent on the three ball than they were last year. I think last year we saw them able to weather storms where they shot, you know, 28% from three and they could still win games comfortably just because they just destroy teams in the paint. And now they're obviously even more um, Giannis dependent in that regard than, than ever. Um, and so I think, you know, as I kind of watch game by game, obviously, you know, you're always going to look at the three point shooting numbers because, I mean, if one team shoots well, the other team shoots poorly, that's usually it, right? I mean, you know, the whole make or miss league thing, that, that is, is very clear when, you know, nowadays when you look at just box scores and you just look at how teams shoot, you know, one team has a really bad shooting night, that's really hard to overcome given how, you know, how, how big a volume three-point shooting has become, and especially with the Bucks, because the Bucks, you know, I think right now, I believe right now, uh, are they leading the league in three-point attempts? They, they may. Maybe leading. They're definitely higher than they were last year. Um, and they also are, once again, leading the league in opponent three-point attempts. And so, you know, every game is going to become, to some extent, a referendum on who's better at shooting three-pointers, for better or worse, right? And if you're the Bucks, 
you know, you were basically going to say, all right, well, we're going to, you know, ride Giannis and he's going to try to just dunk all night on you. And then if you send help, he's going to kick it out. We're going to shoot open threes. And we believe, you know, night in, night out, we're going to win with Giannis dunks plus threes more than you're going to win with us, you know, essentially taking away the rim, taking away uh, the paint and forcing you to shoot threes. Interestingly, I was looking at the the defensive metrics for the Bucks this year. Um, so offensively, uh, they're they're down about three points per 100. Their ranking has only slipped from third to fourth if I use cleaning the glass. They're actually shooting a higher effective field goal percentage, which kind of makes sense given that they're shooting more threes, right? Effective field goal percentage, very closely tied to, to three-point shooting, obviously. Um, but uh, they're better in terms of turnover rate. They're dramatically worse in offensive rebound rate. They're, they're right now last in the league in offensive rebound rate, um, which we never really talk about because it's not really something the Bucks try to really focus on. But they're, like, historically terrible right now. Like, it's, imp- like it's difficult to imagine they will remain this terrible over a longer period, but it's, it's definitely hurting their offense. Um, and uh, defensively, it's interesting because they're 11th in the league in defense right now. Ironically, their their points per possession numbers, their effective field goal percentage allowed numbers, are actually better this year than they were last year. Um, they're 1.7 points per 100 better this year than last year defensively. Um, but again, and some of this is sort of early season variance. Obviously, so, you know, there's there's some teams that um, have had these incredible defensive starts, and you know, again, there's probably some luck in that. There may be teams that have not had opponents happen to make many threes. Um, opponents maybe have had some soft schedules, things like that. So it'll be interesting to see defensively sort of where this shakes out. I think defensively, there's really no excuse for the Bucks to be much worse, except for the fact that teams maybe take advantage of the three-point shot more this year. But it's also interesting because, you know, last year they were the best in the league. Only 30% of opponent shots came at the rim. This year it's 26%. Mm-hmm. So even fewer shots coming this year at the rim. Um, but again, the downside is much like the Bucks offense has reduced some of their offensive, their, their at-rim attempts, which were very high last year, and now it's basically kind of middling. Um, the Bucks defense has done a similar thing. Like they've taken away even more shots at the rim. Their defensive rebound rate is even better, which helps that as well. Uh, and they have, their three point, opponent three-point rate has gone from 36% to almost 42%. So, um, yeah, all the ingredients are there for basically this to be a team that just has a lot of volatility both from game to game and even within games. And obviously that's something that, you know, you, you highlighted, right? Just some of these second halves where they just can't make shots slash opponents do make shots. You're going to be able to see, you know, a lot of big leads are going to be unsafe because of just not only the, the makeup of the Bucks own shot profile, which I would say, you know, as we mentioned is less stable. I would say it's more volatile this year than last year because of that, trading of, of rim stuff for, for three-point shots, um, but also defensively. Um, you love the fact that they continue to take away the rim as well as, as any team in the league, but obviously the flip side is teams are going to get off a ton of threes, and sometimes those are going to go in. Yeah, so just just with those numbers, so the Bucks, they're second in, in three-point attempts per game just behind the, the, the Rockets, but, you know, again, this is all – a pace related thing when you when you look at the, at the way the bucks are playing uh, i just it's it's interesting to me because this was something that i was thinking about and across the weekend but also after the 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 loss to the celtics because you know there's been so much talk about the defense and the, the struggles on that end but 
if you were to ask me whether I was more concerned about the long-term defense of this team or the offense, it's probably the offense for mine. And the reason for that is, as you just said, the numbers you just point out, the stuff they were good at last year, they're still going to be good at this year. And the personnel changes that we've had, it doesn't really affect that that much. Like, you know, exactly. you, talk about, you talk about Wes Matthews and Wes, to this point, I probably should have thrown him in the, in the Kyle Corver category offensively because at the moment, getting up five three-point attempts a game, only 6.8 field goal attempts a game. So, I mean, he's shooting threes or nothing. And then he, he actually does take one to the, to the rim yesterday, then turns his ankle and, and doesn't play again for the rest of the game. So Wes Matthews at the moment offensively is, is very predictable. Um, and, and I think the question for me offensively with this team is that it could be a personnel thing. And, and, I, and I don't think that that's an issue with the defense. So if there's any early concerns, I'm like, yeah, they can figure that out. They've got the people to do that. Offensively, can you replace that, that Brogdon production, as you already pointed to, and the ability to get to the rim? That's kind of an unknown at this point. And that's why I, you know, I thought it was a positive to see some different things yesterday and the Bucks able to score in the paint and score in different ways, even if it wasn't through a traditional you know, guard putting the ball on the floor and, and getting to the restricted area. It was in different ways. But uh, And a, a lot of it was through the brilliance of, of Giannis. But, yeah, I mean, that for me is the big question and probably the reason why I think watching this team offensively moving forward is, is more intriguing than, than the defense. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I, I, again, I think defensively, you know, a team that is, is based around, you know, Giannis's do-everything um, ability, Brooke Lopez and his ability to defend the rim, um, and then the fact that you've got, you know, I think some, some very good pieces, uh, that can defend, uh, at the point of the attack again, I think Bledsoe, uh, I do want to talk a little bit about Bledsoe before we go, because, um, Orlando felt like to some extent, kind of a breakout for him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in both games this weekend, he ends up actually not shooting well from three in, in both games. Um, but it didn't feel that like that way necessarily. Cause he hit early threes. Um, I think in both games that kind of made it feel like he was sort of starting well and maybe shaking off some of that, you know, rust or mental anxiety, whatever it was <laughs> early in the season that, you know, made the first four games uh, very forgettable for, for blood. So, um, so, I mean, coming into Friday's game, I mean, you know, as I said, I always am, you know, my, my feeling about the bucks sort of, you know, is, is very closely tied to how well Giannis is playing um, just him being my favorite player to watch in the history of the sport. Um, but, I, you know, if you ask me who am I most hoping to see kind of has a breakthrough this weekend, it would have been Bledsoe just because, um, you know, we're going to talk a lot. I mean, it's going to be a natural talking point. Um, you know, how much are the Bucks missing Malcolm Brogdon, right? And I think the answer is the Bucks are going to miss Malcolm Brogdon. Um, now, on the one hand, he's putting up really big numbers in Indiana, you know, to some extent, obviously he probably would never do that in Milwaukee just because he's not going to have the ball in the same way that he does with the Pacers right now. Right. I mean, he's sort of like option number one on a lot of nights with the Pacers and obviously in Milwaukee, that wasn't really an option, but um, it's not just that you're losing Malcolm Brogdon, but I mean, to me, the biggest story of like the first week, the kind of, you know, again, it's very early, um, but after the playoffs last year with, with Bledsoe, the fact that, you know, if you're replacing last season, Eric Bledsoe in the regular season, who was really, really good, really efficient scorer, great defender, um, generally had a great season. If you're replacing that guy with Eric Bledsoe, but a mediocre version of Eric Bledsoe, 
that is a huge loss, right? I mean, we're always going to talk about Brogdon because he physically left the team. He's not on the team anymore. You know, he's doing, he's doing good stuff elsewhere. So it's easy to say like, you know, you're missing that. Right. Um, you know, I think the infamous Mark Lazary referring to him as a quote unquote luxury is something that is going to probably haunt uh, our discussions about the bucks for some time, especially if they don't win a championship. Um, but uh, looking at um, Bledsoe, you know, that, that, this was the big thing that kind of gave me anxiety. If you asked me about what, what was my biggest fear coming into this season, it was that, look, is Brooke Lopez just going to continue to be this great version of Brooke Lopez? I hope so, but he's 31. I don't know. Maybe maybe he takes a step back, right? Is Eric Bledsoe going to be continue to be the version of Eric Bledsoe we saw in the regular season, or is that playoff Bledsoe going to become closer to what we see in the regular season? I certainly hope we see regular season Bledsoe all year, but uh, who knows, right? He's 29 years old. Things happen. Guys eventually regress. You know, the mental part of the game is, is a big deal as we've seen with this team. Um, so seeing Bledsoe, uh, you know, we saw in fits and starts in the first week of the season, like where he would, be aggressive, get to the rim, finish at times. It didn't look like he's like just lost a step. Um, But obviously the shooting has been a concern. And so I think for him to look more confident making plays, I think we saw more kind of pick and roll actions between him and Giannis creating shots on Friday and Saturday. I think that's a welcome sight because I think a huge concern with Bledsoe obviously is especially if he's not shooting, does that really adversely impact Giannis and the way teams can defend and load up on Giannis if they don't fear Bledsoe. Um, so I think just generally I felt better about Bledsoe for sure. After Friday and Saturday, I would say we're not like out of the woods or anything like that. Uh, it's not, Hey, Bledsoe's back and he's back to his best. Um, he blew another really uh, bad layup in late in the fourth quarter on, uh, on Saturday, which was kind of baffling. Um, but generally speaking, progress at least on the Eric Bledsoe front and that is so important um, because even if Giannis is MVP Giannis even if he's even better this year um, you know you need Chris Middleton who had a very quietly good game against the Magic and then you know, largely a forgettable game unfortunately against Toronto uh, but had been playing pretty well before that you know we're going to need to see Bledsoe and Middleton and to a lesser extent a lot of these other guys step up in really meaningful ways if this team's going to win a championship and so um that's definitely something i was looking out for and and i'd say again bledsoe not back to you know vintage bledsoe but at least looking closer to that and and hopefully getting back some of the confidence that that he had during last year's regular season yeah he, he didn't shoot the ball all that well from three as you mentioned but 10 for 15 inside the arc which is a really good sign for him um you mentioned that yeah, he did miss one late there, but you know, early in the season, he was just completely out of sorts. You know, offensively, defensively, he was just not the Eric Bledsoe we've seen. So to see him uh, be in control of the ball as well, he averaged just under, uh, well, he had eleven assists over the two games and only one turnover, which is a a nice number for him because you know, early in the season, he seemed to be back to the Bledsoe from a couple of years ago, where he would find himself stuck in traffic, pick up his dribble, leave his feet, throw the ball to anywhere and, and hope for the best. And that was sort of the bad Bledsoe that, that we hoped uh, you know, a couple of years ago we could get rid of. And then he had that great regular season last year. So yeah, it was, it was a bit of a bounce back from him. Uh, but you sort of mentioned right at the top, and I, I think we've, we've sort of covered both those games. 
it was it kind of feels good for the Bucks just to win a couple in a row. They're four and two now, and and despite you know everything that we've seen and all the discussion points we've had and how much we still think there you know potentially is to work on, uh, they're four and two, and the two losses uh, they had major leads in as well. So. Yeah, unfortunately, they weren't able to win those games, but they're, they're kind of close to being undefeated, even though we feel like they're a long way off their best. But now they go on the road and get a little bit of a, a lucky break, I'd say, against the T-Wolves uh, personnel-wise with, with Towns still going to miss this game, Kyle Anthony Towns, after the the wrestle. I don't know. I, I spoke the other day. I, I'm not willing to call it a fight. It was a little bit of a wrestle with Joel Embiid, but uh, that's going to be a big loss I was, for them. I was... Yeah, I was generally very disappointed when I saw the Twitter, you know, fight, fight, yeah. fight. And then I saw the video. I was like, I mean, Embiid didn't even throw a punch. It was pretty much just like, you know, I don't know. It was like, it was like a, the equivalent of like a, I don't know how much hockey you've watched in your life, Kane, but like a hockey fight where the guys just sort of pull the jerseys over one yeah. another. And it, they, nobody really even winds up and gets anything kind of cut. Nobody gets their money's worth. So as soon as I saw it, I was just like, uh, that's probably like two, three games max. And I always find it funny. I think people always have this hesitation to overstate how long people are going to get suspended. Like multi-game <laughs> suspensions in the NBA are very rare. Like yeah. it's actually not common. Like the only, like the longest suspensions, obviously you had the, you know, the malice and the pal stuff, which are like sort of its own, just complete different animal. But typically for like just swings and punches and stuff like that. Um, I mean, nobody's getting eight to 10 games for just like a, like a you know like a fight right like it's just like a kind of typical quote-unquote fight and this one was you know pretty lacking in 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 connected blows so um not surprising at all that uh that it was just a couple games for uh for towns and and Embiid and uh Simmons that was a little surprised Simmons didn't get anything um given he sort of you know I don't know if I'd call it a full chokehold, but <laughs> kind of wrestled uh, wrestled towns from behind a bit. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, you know we Bucks have lucked out a number of times here, uh, and for the most part, it hasn't really helped them. Uh, they played the Heat without Jimmy Butler and lost. They played the Celtics without uh, Jalen Brown and uh, Ennis Cantor, which I don't know if that's really a, a negative in terms of Cantor, but um, but they lost that game obviously. So. Uh, hopefully the missing star player reverse jinx Ewing theory thing doesn't uh, doesn't come back to to rear its head again for the Bucks in Minnesota um, because yeah I mean I think after that Magic game and after to a lesser extent the the Toronto game but but obviously you know you, you'd like to think hey are the Bucks going to kind of get back into that mode that we saw last year where when they go and play you know kind of mediocre teams mediocre to bad teams they just stomp them you know, they just they just go out and crush them and uh obviously you would very much like to get back to to that level of consistency um especially with uh, a couple of really difficult games on that road trip including uh, on wednesday go having to go into la to play the clippers so you really want to win this game on monday night to not only keep your win streak going but you know avoid being in a position where you you may drop to 500 on wednesday if you, if you don't take care of business on monday yeah, not that, uh, and just to add to that, not that the the Clippers are, are really struggling without him anyway, but they're also going to see a Clippers team without Paul George. So yeah, kind of, yeah, kind yeah of exactly. A, kind of a, a wild start uh, for the Bucks in terms of, as you said, they're probably lucking out, although they haven't taken advantage of that yet. But today's podcast was brought to you by Manscaped. Manscaped is number one in men's below the belt grooming. Get twenty percent off and free shipping with the code Locked On at Manscaped.com. 
And uh, I, I mentioned the Jets crackers to, to start the podcast. So just a, the Jets crackers is just a brand of cracker in Australia. But in Australia, we also call the area down there knackers. So the Jets crackers are your knackers. So just to, <laughs> just to, just to clear that up, because I, I, know you're, I know you are a busy man and you probably don't want to have to go back and, and try and figure out what I said. <laughs> I appreciate it. Well, you know, you'll have to just make a habit. You'll drop a, an Australianism, some slang for us in the, the front, the, the, the initial read, and then people have to stick around to the end of the podcast. <laughs> figure to, uh, out what it to is. Hear the, to hear the explanation of what the hell uh, Kane was talking about. Um, so, uh, all right. Good, good to know. Kane will, uh, will hopefully over, over, uh, the coming months learn many Australianisms. Um, and so, uh, so we can sound as, as cool and, and chill and, uh, and, uh, I don't know, knackered as, or whatever. We'll be able to make proper wallaby references. Um, when, uh, when, when all is said and done with this season, just from, uh, having spent so much time with you. So, uh, yeah. So I guess, Monday night, Bucks, Wolves, uh, chances to kind of continue, keep going, keep rolling on. Um, although also this game has the trappings of a trap game as well, right? After that Raptors win that they clearly wanted, Giannis said as much yeah. that they had a little extra incentive to, to kind of take the Raptors down. Um, you got the Wednesday game in LA that everybody has circled on their calendar. So there, there's no game that seems as, as primed for like a, Phoenix Sun style letdown from last year <laughs> as uh, going into Minnesota playing a, a Timberwolves team without Carl Towns, but um, we'll, we'll have to see. And, and hopefully the Bucks can uh, uh, look like the Bucks of last year and, and buckle down and, uh, you know, take care of business. Yeah, it is a, it is a tough road trip coming up. So uh, they, they did the, they got the job done and, and took care of the weekend. And now this is the last little one before they head West, but it is a seven o'clock tip-off, which uh, took me a little while to figure that out. With uh, I guess you guys lost an hour overnight, or you went back an hour, so it's probably getting dark pretty early in in Milwaukee it right is. now. I'm guessing it but, is. Uh, See, yeah, seasonal affective disorder uh, is is in full full flight now. If you uh, if you uh, don't enjoy uh, darkness at you know four thirty or whatever the heck it is uh, at this point. Um, which I think I don't know who who does enjoy darkness at at four thirty, but uh, it's it's not great. It's not great. So um, uh, hopefully these these Bucks games uh, in the early evenings can provide uh, some 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 enjoyment back to uh, to everybody who's who's dealing with cold and darkness in the state of Wisconsin. <laughs> All right then. Well, we are gonna we're gonna leave it there in the in the darkness of of our listeners. But for Frank Madden and myself, Kane Pittman. We'll be back tomorrow after the game against the Wolves. We'll speak to you guys then.